He never felt more caged in. Deadlines popping up with each email on his computer screen. It felt like an annoying game of whack-a-mole that never ended. His boss seemingly circling his desk, phone calls and texts ringing like crazy. And this wasn't even the busiest week of his year yet. As he gripped the cold steering wheel on his drive home from work, that drive that used to be kind of his escape from reality was anything but an escape that day. As he scanned through different radio stations, every time he came onto a Christmas station, his stress level seemed to increase with each jingle bell and sleigh bell he heard. Is this really the most wonderful time of the year? Plans need to be made. House guests are coming in a few short weeks. I need to purchase presents. I need gifts to be wrapped. All this is swirling around in his head while he's also processing this first holiday season without his wife. And with each snowflake that fell, another tear of reminiscing fell down his cheek. He gets home and he turns the knob, comes in, he sees his kids rattling off their requests, their lips stuttering in excitement for all the presents they want. And all he can think to himself is, am I enough? Am I enough for my family? Am I enough for God? Am I enough for my boss? How do I do this? He felt alone at a time where family should be around him at all times. He didn't feel that way. Maybe his story has an all-too-familiar ring for you, not to sound like a Christmas station. Maybe this Advent season you're feeling like he did. Maybe even how he did when it came to church, where church kind of felt like this second place where he needed to impress people, not a place where he could find rest. If you've been asking yourself the question, am I prepared for Jesus? Am I prepared for Christmas? How can I be ready when I feel so stressed and so pressured and stuck? How can I find the peace and relief that I need, that I'm longing for? Find that peace and relief. Escape to the wilderness. Now, this wilderness is far different than the idyllic scenes you may have seen in Jeep commercials or National Geographic magazines. This wilderness is desolate. It is dreary. It's deserted. How can this be our escape? You look around as a dust cloud forms about you. In fact, the dust wind is so strong that it's making your shoelaces flutter in the wind. But for a brief moment, you have this glimpse of an oasis out there, this green and lush place. But as all the dust particles settle to the ground and you see the whole landscape, you see impossible to climb mountains. You see treacherous Valleys. How are we going to traverse this terrain to get to that rest? How can we enter that rest? You're not the first to stand in the sand of this wilderness wondering how God's going to bring you that peace and relief that you're longing for. God's people, after he took them out of slavery in Egypt, were in that wilderness for 40 years, four decades. After Malachi penned these final words of the Old Testament that we just heard, God's people are in a spiritual wilderness. 
No more prophets sent, no word from the mouth of God heard, no scriptures written for centuries until that all changed. When all of a sudden, God's voice was heard again. The wilderness heard its creator's voice once more. A prophet was sent. This was the beginning of the greatest true story ever told. You can understand why Luke painstakingly sets the historical scene here with names and places you probably never heard of before, but it's to emphasize a point. This is real, and this is huge. This is monumental. In the era of Caesar, a new king would come that was unlike any king before. In the era of Caiaphas, a high priest would come who would make his own body the sacrifice that would have the most far-reaching effect of any sacrifice ever made. And God's people needed to be ready. The way needed to be prepared. Are you prepared? Maybe you're still sitting there wondering, how in the world is this wilderness my escape? How is this the place where I'm going to find rest? Especially when I look at my own mountainous mass of sin, how in the world can I come near to a perfect God? See, we know that as Christians, that it's impossible with our own pride and our own effort to come near to him, and yet, isn't that so often what we try to do without realizing it? It's through our own good works and the good things we do, we think we can build our own Babel-like mountain where we can maybe get high enough to touch heaven itself. But you and I know that inviting illusion of spiritual independence, it's exactly that, an illusion. It's not possible. And yet so often, despite knowing the impossibility of that, we set out to try to accomplish that anyway. It's when we stare down that mountainous mass of sin that we start to feel its gravitational pull. And it pulls us back within. It pulls us back to self. The God of the postmodern age that makes everything in our life revolve around my wants and my feelings, my desires. It's those dry and dusty signs of our spiritual deadness without Christ. And the more we try to pile on pride, the more we try to find it within ourselves to come near to God, the more and more we pile on more pressure, more guilt, more despair. And before we know it, we're falling headfirst in our own valleys of despair. We tumble down to that dark, dank bottom of vanity valley where we wonder if anybody, especially God, could love somebody like me. We find ourselves looking for hope and not finding it at all. How is this wilderness supposed to be our escape? How is this the place where we're going to find hope, restoration? Maybe if you're wondering that, this would be a good time for you to listen at the voice crying out in that wilderness. John the baptizer's cry, a cry where he wants you to forget about who he is and just focus on the content of this cry. The centerpiece of his glory is a prophet. This is what he says. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And it sure sounds like another item on our to-do list that we can't do. How can I prepare the way for the Lord? How can I be the one to welcome him into my heart when I know how far I am, how distant I am from my Savior. See, it's in that wandering away from myself mountain when we tumble into Vanity Valley 
that we hear it once more. We stand in a wilderness that no rational person would ever want to be in because we hear John the baptizer's voice. That's exactly where he wants to be, or we want to be. Look what he says next. He says, every valley shall be filled in. That cry, it draws us away from thinking about our needs and our wants and our pressures away from ourselves entirely. And it focuses us on the Lord who descended into that valley, who came down from the heights of heaven to go to the depths of our sin and to carry us through the gospel, to carry us back to level ground. Notice what was said there. John doesn't say, you need to fill in this valley for yourself. No, he says, it will be filled in. There's a passive there. And you realize something. As you think about your Lord carrying you to himself, bringing you close to him, that the task of preparing the way for the Lord, it's not a task that's been given to you. By grace, it's a task that's been given to the waymaker himself. As you stand on level ground, you realize something. Myself mountain, that mountainous mass of pride is still standing in your way from seeing that oasis of grace. But then, you hear that cry again. You hear John the baptizer's voice, Isaiah's prophecy reborn. And he says, every mountain and hill made low. And as you see the earth forming in a way you've never seen it before, as dirt fills in those valleys that seemed endless, now you see a cosmic, seismic swipe level that mountain of pride that you thought would always keep you from being close to God. All the rocks incinerated, banished to the wind with the cross breeze of forgiveness for every single one of your and my sins of pride that sweeps us off our feet. No more valleys of despair. No more mountains of pride. And now you can start to see it. You can see God's grace. You can see that manger again. You can see the cross in view. But as you look before it, you see this windy, endless road that leads there. A road that's overgrown with weeds, jagged with rocks. How can you and I find that road, follow it, and finally reach our escape in that wilderness? Well, as you put your head down in despair, knowing that a road that so mirrors you and me with our jaggedness of sin and our rough edges of guilt, knowing we can't possibly expect to clear this way for ourselves, that voice comes right around again in the wilderness. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth. All your and my crookedness that kept this distant disconnect between you and God, it's gone. All the rough edges that made it impossible for him to come near to us, they've been made smooth because you believe in the God who made everything right. The waymaker, the trailblazer, the savior, by faith in him, when God the Father looks at you, he doesn't see rough edges. He sees a holy and blameless child of God. And now you see it for what it is. There are no more mountains blocking your view, no more valleys impossible to cross, no more roads you can't follow. No, there's a road as straight as an arrow. But what's different about this oasis is it's not up to you to go there. No, now that that road has been paved, now that all of your sins have been steamrolled, 
that oasis comes to you. In fact, you find yourself kneeling at the manger once more and looking into the gray eyes of a newborn infant that to the rest of the world, they won't see how significant this is, but to you, this is everything. This is where meaning is found. This is where hope is felt. You look into the eyes of your Savior who you only recognize to be your Savior because God has humbled you to see it. And because he's humbled you to see it, and because of the joy you have, because this is yours, you have no other choice but to live this lifestyle of repentance out of thankfulness in your heart for the fact that you have a place at that manger scene too. It's this lifestyle of repentance that you and I get to live as Christians, and it's a lifestyle that the world around us will never understand. It's this lifestyle where we want to look at those mountains of sin and we want to look into those valleys of regret and we want to look into the mirror of the law to see all the ways that sin has distorted us so we can turn away from that and see our Savior standing right there, arms wide open through the scriptures, through the sacrament, ready to receive us again. So here's the thing. While the world looks at such self-reflection, calling ourselves sinners, confessing our sins as psychologically damaging and self-esteem destroying, you and I know that lifestyle for what it truly is. It's that life of confession and forgiveness where we do find our escape, where we do find hope. The real hurt is done, as my dear friend and teacher Mark Pauschen said, when Guilt left unresolved or unacknowledged is left to poison life. You and I, we want to return to that oasis of grace again. We want to feel the refreshment of repentance again. Because we realize that repentance is not about you and me. Repentance is so much more. Repentance is what leads us to hear the final declaration of what John the Baptizer's message was all about, that all people will see God's salvation and all people, that includes you and that includes me. Now with joy-filled precision, you go into this wilderness of life knowing who you have walking beside you, paving the way to bring you closer to God. You see repentance no longer as another item on your Christmas to-do list that you have to check off. It's not something that you and I do. This is all God's work. Repentance is not something that we need to do on our own and prepare for ourselves. No, repentance is simply this. It's confessing our sins to the God that we know has paid for all of those sins, trusting in, wholehearted, in a wholehearted way that God has done everything to bring us closer to him. And when we find ourselves in that escape, when we see ourselves experiencing that relief, it changes how we look at even the people around us in our lives. We discover what C.S. Lewis did, that when you search for Christ in the word and in the sacrament, when you find him, and really it's him finding us, right? Everything else is thrown in. Everything else you could possibly hope for, peace, relief, joy, it's a package deal, hand-wrapped for you from Jesus. And so it's in that light that you start to look at how you love others in a totally different way. You see and experience what Paul was talking about in our Philippians reading, where our love abounds more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. 
It's in this soil of confession and forgiveness that our once dry and weary wilderness of a soul now bursts with life. Where God motivates you through the gospel to have personal fruits of faith that show your love for him and his love for you to whatever context and calling you are in in life. All of a sudden, you can't help but be who you really are. That's a child of God. No longer dwelling on your failings and inadequacies, but putting all your focus on the perfect God who has come near to you. Who, as Malachi said, will never change and who will constantly return to you day after day, even when we turn away from him. He will never, ever give up in his pursuit of you. And so this holiday season, when things are stressful, and you're in a grocery store and you see people who have heaving shoulders of stress, when you're at work and you see people flying around not knowing how they're going to get through the day, and maybe when you're feeling that stress too, keep on running back to this wilderness. Escape into this life of repentance that the Lord has given to you. See your Savior come near to you. Don't be afraid to approach that manger scene again and have a good confessional cry pouring out everything you're dealing with to Jesus. He will come near to you. He will be at your side. In this time of stress, where things get so crazy and out of hand, return to that simple yet beautiful and refreshing oasis, that oasis of grace, that escape that is your Savior. An escape unlike any other. A place where it can just be you and him. And there's no greater peace than that. Amen. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, be all glory, majesty, power, and authority, through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.